0: Welcome to Wines We Drink, a podcast for wine lovers and learners. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and together with my counterpart Keith Herndon, we'll be exploring a new wine each week. Keith is a lover of wine, and I am a learner of wine, and we hope you'll continue learning and sipping along with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wines We Drink podcast. We're excited to bring you our fifth episode of our second season. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and with me as always this summer is my co-host, Keith Herndon, a certified wine sommelier.
1: Yes, hello, Charlotte. It's uh, wonderful to see you today. Um, we say this a lot at Wines We Drink, but today is another amazing summer day to drink wine together. hmm Uh, that also makes it a great day to share today's bottle with our fabulous audience. And we love hearing from our audience, so please send us any feedback you may have.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, including pictures of your own glasses. Uh, (laughs) I think that would be so cool. Our loyal listeners will know that we've returned to our Wine Kitchen studios with the last week's episode after recording our first three episodes of Season 2 at the Tapped Wine Bar And our experience at Tapped was outstanding, and we'll be going back there uh, before the season is over. So, meanwhile, you can find all of this season's episodes as well as Season 1 wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh,
1: Yes, listeners, uh, we're recording today in the comfort of our home base. And that is appropriate because I like to think of the wine we're drinking today as a comfort wine.
0: Oh, I love the sound of that, a comfort wine. Please tell us more.
1: Yes, I'm eager to explain today's selection, but first allow me to set the stage based on what we've tasted so far this season. As I mentioned last week, I have grown quite fond of several of the lesser known white varietals from the old world. And and so far this season, we've had a Greek Ascertico, an Austrian Gruner Weltliner, and an Italian Gave, which is made from the Cortese grapes. Well, today we're switching it up a bit. We're going to be drinking a varietal that has deep roots and ancestry in the Old World, France's Burgundy region to be precise. Mm. But the bottle we're opening today is from the New World, Oregon's Willamette Valley in the United States. So we're going to be drinking a wonderful example of a Pinot Gris, a grape that is now as home in Oregon as it is in its native France.
0: Wow. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean... Before we drink today's selection, I have to ask, both for myself and for our listeners, um, what's the difference (laughs) between a Pinot Gris and a Pinot Grigio?
1: Yes, Charlotte, that's an excellent question, and, and, and a lot of listeners, I'm sure, will be asking the same thing. So the grape is the same as DNA tests now tell us, but mostly in France it's called Pinot Gris, but in Italy it's mostly known as Pinot Grigio. In other parts of the world, it seems the two names are being used somewhat interchangeably. We find some wake, uh, some winemakers in California who call it Pinot Gris, and then there's others who call it Pinot Grigio. In Oregon's Willamette Valley, where today's bottle comes from, this varietal is mostly known as Pinot Gris. and An article from the Tasting Table said winemakers who use the Pinot Gris moniker typically produce wines that have more body and deeper, richer flavors than the lighter-bodied, crisp Pinot Grigio that we associate with Northern Italy.
0: Okay, well, that was a clear answer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know, listeners, I think it's another one of those wine conundrums. Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio, same grape, potentially completely different styles. Um, But today we're in Oregon's Willamette Valley, and so specifically... What are you opening today for us in this bottle?
1: Yeah, today's bottle is a wonderfully fresh 2021 vintage from the Anna Mee Winery in Carlton, Oregon.
0: Wow, Uh, wonderfully fresh. What do you mean?
1: Well, yes, that's another great question, Charlotte. I mean, you're bringing your interviewing chops to the show today. (laughs) You know, I think Pinot Gris is meant to be consumed young. So I like to find some examples of recent releases These grapes were harvested in late September and early October, and then a portion of the wine was aged on lees, which means in contact with the yeast residue in the bottle for about four months. Right? These 2021 bottles were just released in March. So that's what I mean by wonderfully fresh. So buy it and drink it now, but it will also be perfectly fine for two or three years in the bottle, maybe even longer.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that sounds great. I'm excited to drink a newbie. Uh, Let's get started.
1: Yes, I'm going to open this. This one has a screw top, uh, which I love for picnics. So let me just open that, and uh, you can hear the screw top coming off, and then we'll pour a couple of glasses. Perfect. Yes.
0: A picnic would be beautiful right about now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're pouring them into the glass, and I'm seeing um, a, a very pale color. I mean, it's coming out of you know, a browner bottle, but it's very clear in the color and, uh, you know, very golden. I would say probably closer to yellow, but it, it's, you know, comparing it to the other white wines we've had, um, you know, so far this season, it seems one of the paler.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say that those the color descriptions are excellent. I mean, it is a, it is a pale, um, I would say a pale yellow, um, but in some in, in some ways, it's, it's almost a, 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 a translucent, yeah, color. You know, very, uh, very um, watery, very mm-hmm. refreshing. You know, looking color. It right? does
0: look really refreshing, and it, and the color almost looks different from the base of the glass to the to the top of the wine. So it kind of tra- changes color depending on the light, like you said.
1: Sure. So um, please now smell the wine and and describe for our listeners some of the aromas that you're picking up.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. This one, um, you know, again, trying to compare it to the other wines we've had so far uh, uh, this season. It's um, the same in in many ways as the other white wines we've been drinking. I'm getting the citrus aroma right off the bat. But it's very aromatic in terms of um, florals and uh, in terms of the citrus specifically. uh, You know, thinking about um, the wine from last week, uh, the Villa. That one was very lemony. This one is, I would say, more orangey, orange peel, orange oh, yeah. zest.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. You know, the official tasting notes refer to aromas of orange blossom okay. and orange peel. So that uh, that, that floralness here, the mm-hmm. orange blossom, you know, so your olfactory senses are in fine working order today, Charlotte, <laughs> you know, but, but for me, you know, I also, when I smell this wine, I also pick up some hints of pear and there's a lot of of other, uh, you know, floral aromas, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, I agree. Right?
1: When, when I first had this particular 21 vintage a few weeks back, uh, when I first got the shipment, um, you know, I, I knew it had a familiar floral smell and, um, uh, I, I, couldn't place it at first, you know, so mm-hmm. I, 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 drink a glass of it. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, but so I, I knew it was a familiar, you mm-hmm. know, uh, aroma. Um, uh, a couple hours later, I, I was out in my yard and it and it hit me, the floral that I was smelling was gardenia.
0: Ah, wow! You know? Yeah, I
1: I have a gardenia bush in my yard, and and uh, I smell that gardenia bush and it just reminded me back to the wine, mm-hmm. and I was like, nah, that's that's too simple, you know, that's that's too much. So, I, but I went back to the winemaker notes and there it was. Third in the list of aromas behind pear and citrus was gardenia.
0: Wow. Yeah. You want to talk about olfactory senses being on point. You know, probably the reason I didn't pick up on the gardenia was because the gardenia bush in my yard was only planted a few weeks ago. So the smell is not yet locked into my brain. But uh, anyway, uh, the floral notes are definitely coming through either way. And uh, if it's okay, I'm going to go in for my first taste. Yeah,
1: sure. Absolutely.
0: Wow. Wow. That first sip, it just hits you like a like a fruit bomb. <laughs> I'm going um and there's other things happening on my tongue right now, so I'm going to go in for a second for a second swig.
1: Yeah, you know try to try to sort out some of those different flavors. you know one of the reasons that I like this wine so much is the multitude of fruit flavors that are in play. You know the pear that we talked about is not only in the aromas, you know I think it's definitely a flavor that I get, right?
0: mm hmm Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, once I get beyond that sort of initial citrusy effect, I'm also picking up on that pear. Um, You know, but I'm also getting peach uh, and green apple, maybe similar to the stone fruit um, family.
1: Yeah. Yeah, go in for another taste.
0: Okay, don't mind if I do. (laughs)
1: You know, so so this this wine has uh, the one of the things that I like about some of the Oregon Pinot Gris and particularly this one, is that the wines have like layers of fruit flavors to decipher. You know, mm-hmm. so if you were trying to, you know, on that second and you know, have another taste first yeah. before we go there, you know, and then and then see if there's another fruit that, that that comes out. You know, as you're thinking about that,
0: and it may just be because you were talking about a picnic. <laughs> and whenever I'm thinking about packing for a picnic, um, you know I'm thinking of berries, but um, I want to say more specifically, uh, you know, a, a strawberry, maybe the classic summer fruit.
1: Well, bingo! I mean, the winemakers mentioned strawberry as one of the wine's flavor attributes, and wow, you know, I have to say Dang. I didn't, I didn't get that at first. You know, I was tasting something a little more jammy. Oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, which I think the winemakers describe as white fig. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I think this is really a fruit salad in a bottle. Oh,
0: yeah. No, it's great. I mean, and I like that it's got some acidity to it. Um, you know, the te- I don't know if you even describe wines as having textures, but <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's, it's not certainly as acidic as some of the other wines that we've tasted on this podcast, but there's a nice balance to it and just a very unique texture to what we've had so far this season.
1: Yeah, I think balance is a really good word to describe this wine. It's not too soft. It is definitely dry enough with with the right amount of acid to, you know, to give it a nice, pleasing finish, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's some tingle that happens right when you take a sip. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying I'm blown away by this one. And this is definitely one of my more favorites, I would say, so far. And it's hard to pick a favorite because we've had some really tasty white wines (laughs) (laughs) this season. You know, we had the Greek Acertico. We had the Austrian uh, Gruner Weltliner the Italian agave, and now a Willamette Valley Pinot Gris. And, um, you know, so they all share some citrusy characteristics, but their other flavor profiles have led me really to understand just how different they are from one another.
1: Yeah, You know, yes. And, and once again, I, I want to point out for our listeners that that all of them share the common process of fermentation in cold temperature controlled stainless steel tanks. There's no oak aging. And, and I really like the results we get. Um, I think that, that, that you would agree that all four of these white wines are bright, yet they have layers of complexity to them that make them some interesting selections. And I'm fascinated that the winemakers were able to bring that out without adding that oak tannin and that mm-hmm. oak, you know, characteristics that you, you'd get from, a, from an oaky Chardonnay, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. When you've had the benefit of sort of trying these wines one after the other each week, you really can start to pick out those nuances. So, um, you know, and, and another similarity uh, with all of these wines is that they've all been exceptional wines at exceptional prices. So I'm certain that this represents another great value. So how much can our listeners expect to pay for a bottle of this
1: one? You know, yes, yeah, Charlotte, uh, uh, again, we've been trying to emphasize, you know, value propositions for a lot of our selections this, this uh, season. So this bottle should be available to our listeners for around $20 a bottle on average. And I think that represents another great value proposition. Enemi's Pinot Gris have been ranked among the top five percent wines in the world on the Vivino app for the last several vintages, and I expect the vintage will remain in that elite company. Right now, there's not enough ratings there for me to, you know, you, you know, give it uh, give it a raking. You know, I, and again, I want to remind all of our listeners that that we're selecting the wines we drink based on what I like, right you know we're not being paid for these recommendations. So when you listen to our podcast you're getting my honest opinion about a wine I like and that I actually drink and and in this case you know I've actually been to the Anami Winery in right. Valley uh, Willamette Valley and and uh, I just believe they do an uh, you know outstanding job.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, if we, if we ever figure out how to get paid to drink wine for a living, uh, I think we'll be doing really well. <laughs> but either way, I think um, it's really cool to, to hear about um, uh, this Pinot Gris, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to taste it with you. So is there anything else to share before we go to break?
1: Uh, yes, I think it's important to note that a family-owned winery um, like Annemie uh, also features a woman winemaker, uh, Gabby Vignes. Uh, In a business that's been very male-dominated over the years, it's always great when we can give a shout-out to women who are breaking down those barriers. Gabby has worked at wineries and vineyards in her native Chile, uh, also in New Zealand, France, Australia, and in the United States. And now that she's making just some awesome wines in Oregon.
0: Wow, yeah. No, that is an awesome note and one to celebrate. So cheers to you, Gabby, if you're listening. Hi. (laughs) Um, We love your wine. (laughs) We're going to take a short break, though. Uh, When we return, it'll be time for our pairing period. Keith's going to give us some suggestions for what to eat with today's Pinot Gris. Welcome back to our fifth episode in season two. We're now in the pairing period portion of the show. And Keith is with us again to give us his suggestions on pairing the wines we drink with complementary foods.
1: Yeah, so when I drink today's wine, you know, it transports me back to the time when my wife and I uh, visited the Annamie Winery. Uh, its tasting room sits on the top of a hill at the end of a long road. You get these amazing views of the vineyards and the Oregon countryside. You know, it's not a pretentious place at all. Uh, it's just the opposite of that. And and to do this wine justice doesn't require any fancy food, right? I don't think you need to look much further than the winemaker's own tasting notes, which suggest serving this wine with a Caesar salad and a simple roast chicken.
0: Mm, yeah. I mean, hey, sometimes I'm that simple gal. And, you know, that sounds simply delicious to me.
1: You know, that's, that's why I described this wine at the outset as a comfort wine. Mm. You know, don't fuss over this at all. You know, just enjoy it with a simple meal. You know, the winemaker also suggests pairing it with seared trout and grilled squash, and you know, and I think that also sounds like a wonderfully simple pairing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't have to, like you said, fuss over the meal to accompany the good wine. Um, so I'm I'm eager to taste this wine with today's cheese pairing. So what is what is sitting on the plate here?
1: Yeah. So uh, during the break, I, I placed some uh, Munster cheese on some crackers. You know, this is also a cow's milk cheese that has a a very mild flavor with a smooth, soft texture. But I think it pairs really well with Pinot Gris. And part of that is because of the shared history of this grape and the cheese. Mm -hmm. You know, this style of cheese traces its origins back to the city of Munster in the Alsace region of France, which is also the ancestral home of the Pinot Gris grape. So it just makes sense that these two go together.
0: Oh, absolutely. Just like last week with our Italian pairings, pair like with like, and it's got to be
1: delicious, right? Yeah. So go <laughs> ahead and take a bite uh, okay. of the of the cheese crackers. Mm. Well, yeah. that cheese
0: is great. I'm going to go in for a sip. <laughs> right.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: that wine... Um, has just enough acidity to sort of cut through the smoothness of the cheese and I love munster. Um, I'm sure that's a familiar cheese for many of our listeners too. It's so tasty. So the the mouthfeel compatibility. It's it's having a party in my mouth right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's just like those two old friends that know each other really well, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know? And and uh, the, the history of the of the grape and the history of the cheese, it it just these these are, this is a cheese and wine pairing that's just meant to be right, right? right.
0: It is a match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, so listeners, I mean, I'm just gonna break it, break it to you. Keith and I are gonna keep sitting here, we're gonna keep drinking this Pinot Gris and eating these cheese crackers with Munster cheese on top. Um, but for now, it's time for us to say goodbye. <laughs> uh, before we go though, Keith, can you tell our audience what's in store for next week?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the summer has just been flying by, right? And uh, just like last year we're going to celebrate the midpoint of the season with some sparkling wine. We're going to be drinking one of my faves from Napa Valley.
0: Wow, 4th of July week and bubbles. Can't wait. (laughs) Thanks everybody.
1: Yeah, thanks everybody. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Wines We Drink. Listen to our other episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at WinesWeDrink and on Instagram at TheWinesWeDrink. Cheers!